Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Hope your Wednesday is going well. Smack in the middle of the week. It is Wednesday, September 6th. Great to be with you on a Wednesday morning and every day here, Monday through Friday on EWTN. We have a great lineup for you, as we try to do every single day. Coming up after the break, and I believe these two interviews will segue very nicely, as we say in the biz, we have Paul Sens, his book, Church Councils, 100 Questions and Answers, with a forward by EWTN's own Mike Aquilina, who was just on with us last week on his new additions to his series on the Church Fathers from our Sunday Visitor. But in this case, he is writing for Ignatius, who published this book, Church Councils, 100 Questions and Answers. Mike did the forward and Paul Sens will be joining us. And talk about timing. Joan's going to be mentioning some news about the Synod on Synodality, which is actually starting in October, October 4th. So it's less than a month away and running until the 28th in Rome. And she has some news in terms of how the news of the Synod and the various meetings and sessions are going to be reported and shared. She'll give us an update on that, plus some other news, of course, follow up to the Holy Father's recent trip to Mongolia and so much more. So again, we have Paul Sens. Church Council's 100 Questions and Answers at the Forward by our friend Mike Aquilina, pub book published by Ignatius Press, and then Joan Lewis, live from Roma. And we'll also talk about the beautiful message from the Holy Father's audience today, which did focus a little bit on Mongolia, but talking about the importance of looking at the good and not just dwelling on the negative. So I thought it was an interesting audience reflection. So that's coming up. Weather-wise, we still have that heat wave going on in a good portion of the country. And we actually have now a new tropical storm that looks like it's going to develop into a hurricane, a heat wave persisting in the mid-Atlantic, according to the National Weather Service, and also the Northeast through tomorrow, lingering all week in the state of Texas and other states nearby the Lone Star State. And then we have, as we mentioned, Tropical Storm Lee. It's forecast to become a major hurricane over the western tropical Atlantic by the weekend, and it could bring impacts to the Caribbean by that time. So we'll keep you updated in terms of the impact it could have on the U.S., if anything. And of course, stay tuned to all of our news outlets here on EWTN. Again, it is a Wednesday, and it's interesting because Michigan, the Midwest, was hit by the heat wave as well. We were in the 90s yesterday. But we always say in Michigan, if you don't like the weather, hang around for five minutes because it'll change. Tomorrow, it's dropping down to like 74. And it's like 90 today. (laughs) And then it's going down a little bit lower after that. But I mean, that's fine. It's going to be in the 70s. So that's normal for us in September. But it's just interesting to see the dramatic change. It means you have to keep a very uh, um, interesting closet in terms of sweaters and jackets and and then summer clothes at the same time. So anyway, I digress. But so far, uh, it looks like it is going to cool down in some parts of the country, including uh, the northern parts. And we'll keep you posted on all the weather. Right now, though, we do have a ton of news to get through. It's a busy Wednesday morning here on EWTN. So let's go right to Rome with the story from Catholic News Agency and the Holy Father, his Wednesday audience message. Well, as CNA reports, the Holy Father today encouraging us to look for the quiet goodness in the world, even when the tendency is to pay more attention to failure and scandal. He said, just think how many hidden scenes of goodness make the garden of the world flourish, while we usually only hear about the sound of falling trees. 
During his audience message today, he said, people, we too like scandal. He says, we hear a tree fall and the noise it makes, but we don't see the forest that's growing every day because growth is in silence. He urged the people gathered in St. Peter's Square and around the world to look toward the light of the good, to fight the tendency to only appreciate others to the extent that they share our ideas. Francis addressing pilgrims and tourists in St. Peter's Square two days after his return from a trip to Mongolia. Mongolia is a country sandwiched between China and Russia and is sparsely populated with around 3 million people across nearly 604,000 square miles. He added, one might ask, why did the Pope go so far to visit a small flock of the faithful? He answered, because it is precisely there, far from the spotlight, that we often find the signs of the presence of God, who does not look at appearances, but instead looks at the heart. In California, the Rockland School Board voting on a policy tonight that will notify parents about a student's transgender identity. The rule means parents will be given a right to know when their child wants to be identified as a gender different from the one that they were born with. The policy also applies when a child wants to use a name other than a commonly recognized nickname or when they want to join sex segregated school programs or activities. Notification can be made by a teacher, counselor, or site administrator. Attorney General Rob Bonta filed suit last week against another school district in that state that adopted a similar policy, which he claims works to ostracize LGBTQ students. Now, what's interesting about this story is I rewrote it a little bit. In the original copy, I'm just throwing this out there so I don't forget about it later this week. The rule means parents will be given a right to know when their child wants to be identified as a gender. Listen to this. This is what the copy originally said. That is different from the one assigned to them at birth. You aren't assigned sex at birth. You are conceived male or female. But see what they're doing here? Just throwing out those little sentences, those little, that little phrase. This is the semantics and you have to listen to it. And you have to watch for it because it's slowly trying to condition people to accept that you actually assign someone's sex at birth. This is what they do. It's just like with the whole, you know, pro-abortion argument, gender affirming care, all those kinds of things, right? Yesterday in the same wire service is another story that said pregnant people as opposed to women. Yeah. Alrighty then, moving right along. A sizzling heat wave, as Mark Mayfield tells us, is hitting the eastern U.S. this week. On Tuesday, more than 50 million people were under heat alerts from Minnesota to Texas to Massachusetts. Several cities broke temperature records over the holiday weekend. Mid to upper 90s temperatures are in the forecast Wednesday in places like Philadelphia and New York City. In Washington, D.C., the mayor activated a heat emergency. The south and northeast could see high temps for a few more days, while the Midwest is likely to get some relief. And no rest for weary hurricane forecasters. AccuWeather senior meteorologist Matt Ben says we now have, as we mentioned in the weather forecast a few minutes ago, a tropical depression, which could develop into Tropical Storm Lee. It's like a trough across the eastern U.S. could keep it just east of Florida, uh, but the eastern U.S., such as uh, the, the northeastern portions of the U.S., will need to watch this system closely uh, as it begins to turn its way to the north. The storm is heading in a west-northwest direction with 35-mile-per-hour winds expected to remain well east of Florida, but nearing Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands by the weekend. There's another tropical wave behind this system expected to turn toward the northwest and pose no threat to land.
The former chairman of the Proud Boys will spend more than two decades behind bars. Enrique Tarrio and three other leaders of the far-right group were found guilty of seditious conspiracy earlier this year related to the incidents at the Capitol in 2021. Yesterday, a judge sentenced him to 22 years in jail, the longest sentence handed down to those related to the incidents at the Capitol back in January of 21. And federal prosecutors are expected to provide an update today on the felony gun charges against Hunter Biden, a U.S. District Court judge ordering Joe Biden's son and prosecutors to explain the status of the case after a plea deal broke down last month. In an order issued last week, the judge said the status report from attorneys and prosecutors should include any steps they believe the court needs to take. An Ohio senator making a push to ban federal mask mandates. This is coming back unless we stop it from happening. That's why I introduced this legislation, and I'm going to force the Democrats to vote on it. If they say the mask mandates are not coming back, then come to the Senate floor, vote with us, and say no more mask mandates. Let's make it bipartisan. On Tuesday, Republican J.D. Vance introducing new legislation that aims to prevent federal agencies from requiring masks on commercial airlines, public transit, and in public schools, known as the Freedom to Breathe Act. The bill would also prevent those industries from refusing service to people who choose not to wear a face covering. Vance claims the U.S. has tried mask mandates, but they failed to control the spread of viruses and violated basic bodily freedom. In other news this morning, in the city of New York, there's a surge of migrants, as Scott Pringle tells us, entering Manhattan and the school system there, causing real concerns about space and resources and preferential treatment. Well, there's more than 19,000 children living in temporary shelters, mostly migrants, now enrolled for the school year. Queens Councilwoman Vicki Palladino furious, though, that the city's allowing migrant students extra time to get required vaccines. These kids are going to school without being inoculated. We had teachers laid off. We had cops laid off. Schools Chancellor David Banks says the department will find the resources to serve migrant children, and he says they have classroom space because many left the public school system at the end of the previous de Blasio administration. Researchers at Oregon Health and Science University finding a cause of Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. Dr. Stephen Back says immune system cleaning cells in the brain get overwhelmed with too much iron and die. This has been a big aha moment for us. Although I have to say it took seven years to put it all together. But in the end, it feels like an aha moment. A new research technique they developed helped discover the problem, and the doctor says drug manufacturers can use this to create a medicine targeting cells vulnerable to iron toxicity. He says you can also help yourself greatly by eating more foods with antioxidants, treating high blood pressure and diabetes, and getting exercise. Brian Shook tells us the so-called doomsday cult mom, Lori Vallow Daybell, is now filing an appeal to her murder conviction. Earlier this year, Lori Vallow Daybell was found guilty of murdering her 17-year-old daughter and 7-year-old son and conspiring to kill her husband's ex-wife. The Idaho judge sentenced her to life in prison without the chance of parole. Now Vallow Daybell is filing an appeal that lists 16 complaints regarding the trial and sentencing. It alleges errors of the court and violations of her right to a speedy trial and jury bias. A Joliet man in Illinois being sentenced to 15 months in prison for causing a crash that left a state trooper seriously hurt in 2021. Will County State Attorney James Glasgow believes the penalties should even be tougher for those who injure police officers. The 15-month sentence handed down by the judge today, was that was a proper sentence with what her restrictions were under the law. But just in looking at the law, I think it's time to take another another look at it 
Authorities say Trooper Brian Frank suffering severe brain injuries after a vehicle slammed into his squad car in February of 2021. Garcia pleaded guilty to a Class 4 felony on August 4th. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is back on Capitol Hill and is facing questions over his health following his latest public freeze-up. Now, one particular moment of my time back home has received its fair share of attention in the press over the past week. While speaking on the Senate floor yesterday, McConnell went on to say he had a busy and productive August meeting with his constituents in Kentucky. The 81-year-old did freeze and was unresponsive for about 30 seconds while speaking to reporters in Kentucky last week. A similar incident occurred in July during McConnell's weekly press conference in the Capitol. And Lisa Taylor tells us the government is working now to recall some 52 million airbag inflators over a risk of explosions. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration said the inflators made by ARC Automotive could explode and throw shrapnel that carries a possibility of killing drivers or passengers. The agency has a public meeting scheduled for next month, which is necessary before asking for a court-ordered recall. It said the mechanism is at fault for at least seven injuries and two deaths in the U.S. and Canada since 2009. And finally, in our news segment at 13 minutes past the hour on a busy Wednesday morning, September 6th, North Dakota and Alaska among the hardest working states in America. That's based on a Labor Day study by personal finance website WalletHub, ranking all 50 states on 10 key factors, including the number of people with multiple jobs, the average hours worked per week, and the unemployment rate. North Dakota placed first, followed by Alaska in second, and South Dakota in third place. Nebraska and Wyoming rounding out the top five hardest working states in the U.S. We're working hard to bring you great interviews every day here on Catholic Connection, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. After the break, we're going to be chatting with Paul Sens, a a book published by Ignatius. And it's about church councils, 100 questions and answers. A good book to grab as we go into the big Synod on Synodality coming up on October 4th in Rome. And then Joan Lewis also has some information on that Synod meeting and the gathering. It's going to be, gosh, less than a month from now because it starts on October 4th. I did want to mention, I forgot to mention this at the top of the hour, and my manager Gail will kill me if I don't mention it, but I also just wanted to remind the ladies who are in the Diocese of Jefferson City that I am coming into town for a beautiful women's conference, which is the weekend of October 7th, actually Friday, October 6th, and Saturday, October 7th, women's ministry, and it's going to be a lot of fun, defined by God, and it's all about the Eucharist, yes, sent on mission, fortified by the Eucharist, defined by God, sent on mission, fortified by the Eucharist, Jay, the editor of the uh, Missouri Diocesan newspaper, did a beautiful article on the event. We have a ladies' sign out on October 6th. The doors open at 6. And then Saturday, October 7th, doors open at 9 a.m. You can go to Diocese of Jefferson City, their homepage, to actually register. It's also on my website under my events section at TeresaTomio.com. This is a beautiful event coming up. Looking forward to it. Actually flying back from Italy to speak because I've got uh, some pilgrimages and some other events going on in late September, early October in Italy, but I'm looking forward to it and we'll fly back, God willing, for the event. And this is coming up, Defined by God, Sent on Mission and Fortified by the Eucharist, October 6th and 7th in the Diocese of Jefferson City. You can check it out on their webpage and also on my information, Facebook and TeresaTomio.com under events. We'll be right back to talk about a big event coming up in Rome in just a few short weeks and you have a great guide That could be available to understand more about synods. Paul Sens will explain his book, Church Councils, 100 Questions and Answers, from Ignatius Press. That's coming up next. 
The wisdom of Mother Angelica. And we need to pray for all our world leaders and all those who are in such danger. See, in a day and age where people are getting further away from God, you get further away from goodness. Only God is good. You remember what our Lord said one day? Why do you call me good? He said, only God is good. Only God. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. This Ave Maria program is brought to you by the following. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of our biblical faith heroes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. From Sponsor TVN with host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo comes a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. In theater September 18th and 19th, it's Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at Route60.movie. That's Route60.movie. All men are called to work, but for many, work is a grind where we struggle to survive for the sake of our families. A new Heroic Men Summit calls all men to set aside two hours on Saturday, September 9th. Join three powerful Catholic businessmen, including Matthew Kelly, who will discuss how work can bring freedom, meaning, and growth in holiness. Let's do more than bring Christ to the workplace. Let's discover him already there. This is the gospel of work. Register free today at HeroicMen.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. As a description of this wonderful book from Ignatius Press tells us, from the days of the apostles, the church's pastors and teachers have met when necessary to defend and explain the Catholic faith. From the Council of Jerusalem and the Acts of the Apostles through the Councils of Nicaea, Constantinople, Trent, and Vatican II, these meetings of the world's bishops are some of the most important events in the life of the church and the most profound expression of the church's teaching authority. So this book is extremely important and it's so interesting because I was just watching happened to watch a special uh, on EWTN. It was so well done. It was all about the Council of Nicaea. And, you know, you think about the bishops back then and Arianism and what was going on and the defense of the truth and St. Nicholas, and it was just fascinating. And here we are, right, uh, almost 2,000 years, well, like probably below 2,000 years, probably, what, 1,600 years later after that council took place, and we are having another council coming up in October, less than four weeks actually, October 4th. So this is why this book is very, very timely. The book is written by Paul Sens. He's a proud husband and father of five living in the beautiful state of Oklahoma. And his book again, Church Councils, 100 Questions and Answers with a forward by our very own Mike Aquilina, published by Ignatius Press. Paul, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, so this book, the timing is, is very important. I'm sure you, you sat down to write it uh, with the, partially at least, with the upcoming Synod in mind, correct? That's right, yeah. The, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the impetus for the book or anything, but as I was writing it and talking about what is a council, what differentiates it from other gatherings of bishops and, and, and such uh, in the Church's life, then I thought, boy, this, uh, the timing is, is kind, of, kind of perfect because... 
because we're kind of in the era the era of the synod these days, um, in particular coming up with the synod on synodality. So what is different, I would say, with your background and understanding synods and how they work uh, throughout history in the church, what's different about the one coming up in just a few weeks in Rome, would you say? Well, one of the most important things to keep in mind is when we talk about these various types of gatherings in the church's life, gatherings of the bishops and everything, we, we need to remember what a synod is and what it mm-hmm. isn't. Um, you know, they're, 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 it's not an ecumenical council. There have been 21 ecumenical councils in the history of the Church so far, and those are all of the bishops of the world together in union with the, with the Pope as their head, teaching the universal Church, right? Mm-hmm. And that this is, like you said from the description of the book, this is kind of the highest expression of the Church's teaching authority. But the Synod, on the other hand, you think of it more like uh, an advisory body to the Pope. So periodically, there, there are ordinary synods that have been every so often, and then extraordinary synods the Pope would call whenever he wants. These bishops and others will meet on a particular topic, discuss, you know, de- debate, present papers on this topic and, and, and that kind of thing, and then they will present a document to the Pope, and he can do with it what, what he pleases. You know, this, they, are, they are not teaching the Church from the synod. They are advising the Pope on a certain matter, giving him points of reflection, and usually what he does with that is he will issue a, an apostolic exhortation document after the synod, kind of based on what they presented to him, you know, but, but the, the synod can, cannot, it is not teaching the universal church, and of course it cannot change unchangeable church teaching, you know. Um, that, that's something that has been a big point of discussion the last several years with several of these synods where people say, oh, this synod's going to change this or change that, or they're going to they're going to finally decree X, Y, or Z. Well, no, that's not that's not how these things work. It's not a council, and even even a council cannot change unchangeable church doctrine, and this isn't, isn't even a council. It's just, it's an advisory body to the Pope on a particular topic, and he can do it, do with it what he pleases. We're talking with, of course, the author of Church Councils, 100 Questions and Answers, with the forward by Mike Aquilina. Paul Sens is with us. So let's take a look at history, because I'll tell you, I found that, that uh, documentary, which was acted out. It was a beautiful uh, film that they did on, on the, on the uh, Church of Nicaea, or the Council of Nicaea. It was just so interesting, the responses of the bishops and the discussions that took place. And then even what happened after that, you're saying that they can't change church teaching with this, that they have to abide by, obviously, uh, the Pope. But St. Athanasius was pretty much on his own, which was fascinating to me, after the Council of Nicaea and after the passing of, of uh, Constantine, because even Constantine's sons were, were going back and for, forth on Arianism. And so he fought to keep the truth of the faith and, and who Jesus Christ is, as we know it from being handed down uh, from the apostles. I thought that was really eye-opening. Yeah, that's right. And um, you mentioned uh, kind of going, going back and forth. Of, of, among Constantine's sons on Arianism and everything like that. That's another thing is even when, even when an ecumenical council lays down the law, so to speak, and says, says we need to clarify the faith. This topic, this area is misunderstood. So let's clarify. Here's the deal. You know, and, the, and they'll, they'll kind of lay it out there to define it more clearly. That doesn't end the debate for for a lot of people. You know the 
if Arianism, which was theoretically quashed into First Council of Nicaea, in some various forms, still survives to today. You know, there are still people who say, who say, Jesus was not divine. He was he was created by God. He's the he's the greatest thing God ever created, but he still is just a just a creature, not divine. You know, that there there are forms of that that survive even down to today. Um, so even even those ecumenical councils, not everybody just says, "Oh, okay, Rome has spoken. The matter is settled." It's sometimes these debates rage on, and the idea of debates raging on is a pretty defining feature of the church today. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Paul Sens. He writes from Oklahoma, where he lives with his family. He's a proud husband and father of five, earning a master's degree in pastoral ministry from the University of Portland in Oregon. He's also posted a really good article on this book and why he wrote it on the register. We'll put a link to that article in our archives. We're going to be taking a break in just about a minute and a half, but from the way the media are covering this, do you think there is some confusion in terms of what's expected out of this synod in particular coming up in October, Paul? Yes, I do, and I think that's I think that's based in a, a pretty fundamental misunderstanding of how the church works, you know, the, and that and that there that there is truth and that the truth cannot be changed. Um, so, because of that misunderstanding, there are many folks who anticipate certain changes coming from from the synod that, that just won't happen. Mm. More with Paul Sins on his book, Church Council's 100 Questions, published by Ignatius, with the forward by Mike Aquilina. Good book to grab, especially as we go into this big event coming up in October, to understand the difference between synods and ecumenical councils, and also just understand more about the beauty of church teaching over 2,000 years. We'll be right back. Does waving to a neighbor improve our well-being? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. According to a Gallup survey from last month, it does make us feel better. It's hard for some people to wave or even say hello to a neighbor. For some, it's just the opposite. In our community in Michigan, neighbors drive by and rarely wave. In Florida, where we spend some time, it's just the opposite. The survey indicates that people who regularly say hello to multiple neighbors have higher well-being scores. The perfect zone of well-being is six greetings. A greeting may be a wave, a hello, a fist bump, or even a grunt. There are other benefits like feeling safe, financial well-being, and even career well-being. In Scripture, 1 Peter teaches us to keep loving one another earnestly and show hospitality without grumbling. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on how friendliness leads to well-being at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. What is Jesus Christ's relationship to the church he founded? According to the Catholic Catechism, whether the head or the members of the church speak, it is Christ who speaks in his role as the head and in his role as the body. As head, Christ calls himself the bridegroom. As body, he calls himself the bride. In the Gospel, Jesus says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. This great mystery of conjugal union, where two different persons become one, is applied to Christ and the Church. The Catechism says further, The Church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. St. Augustine said, What the soul is to the human body, the Holy Spirit is to the body of Christ, which is the Church. The Holy Spirit makes the Church the temple of the living God. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
please visit us at our website, www.maltausa.org. The late great Father John Harden, a wonderful catechist and Jesuit priest, actually passed away in the Archdiocese of Detroit many years ago. And he used to say, educate, educate, educate. He was talking about educating each other, but also educating ourselves and learning all we can about the church. It's just so fascinating. Our church is incredible. 2,000 years founded on Jesus, or founded by Jesus on the rock, St. Peter, Matthew 16, 18. Right? So church councils, 100 questions and answers written by our guest this morning, Paul Sens, who's also contributed on this issue to the National Catholic Register. And as I mentioned, we'll put the links up to his articles and also the link to where you can find the book. In addition to, of course, the EW Chamber Religious Catalog, we have it at the bookstore at Ave Maria Radio. And we'll just give you the resources so you can grab a copy of this quickly. So let's go back because what I, what I love about the church, and I always, always think of that line in scripture that I just mentioned in terms of Matthew 16, right? Where Jesus is promising that the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. And I think it's really important for us to understand what he's talking about because oftentimes that's interpreted as the world pushing against the church and the church just barely holding on when actually it's just the opposite from the scripture scholars and the theologians that I've interviewed over the years and, and read, it's the church pushing back that the gates of hell won't be able to, to, to stand the beauty and the truth of the church coming from directly from, from God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in your book, Church Councils, it must have been fascinating for you to look back over how the church teaching, despite so many opticals in various centuries, and today, how it's been consistent. That's right, yeah, and the, there's different, different modes of expression sometimes, um, you know, different different ways of explaining the same truth, or something that something that wasn't even challenged for the first you know, let's say, thousand or fifteen hundred years of the church, and so it didn't didn't need to be addressed and clarified and defined until much later. Um, but but there is that that consistency, of course, and that um, even even some of the most even some of the most uh, questionable. <laughs> let's say, figures in the, the church's leadership still did not lead the church into error because we have that, that guarantee of protection by the Holy Spirit. So why so much worry and concern then about what happens at these gatherings? Now, again, this is a synod that's coming up in October, and we were talking about this during the, uh, during the break and then before uh, we went to break, about great concern what may be seen as infallibility, or church teaching coming out of the upcoming synod? I think a couple of things. One, I think, like, like I said, there's a misunderstanding for, um, for a lot of people on the church's teaching authority, how that teaching authority works. You'll, you'll hear people say, why won't the church just give with the times and X, Y, or Z? Why won't the church just give with the times and ordain women? Why won't the church just give with the times and uh, share the Eucharist with anybody? That kind of thing. Well, because that that's coming from a place of misunderstanding, uh, including misunderstanding of what authority the Church has. The, the, the Church does not have authority to teach, teach new things, teach novel ideas. The, the magisterium of the Church is responsible for protecting the deposit of faith, safeguarding the deposit of faith from, from being misunderstood or... Um, you know, from error being taught. That's what the church is responsible for. 
And so, so things like synods, where they're meeting to discuss a particular topic, you know, there have been synods on the past on uh, the church in various on various continents, the, the, church, the church in Africa, the church in Asia, the church in North America, you know. Um, but let's address this topic, reflect on it, pray on it, discuss it, whatever, present that information to the Pope, and then he can teach on it. But that's not, even those teaching documents, this is not him, you know, on the chair of Peter, teaching the universal church on matters of faith and morals, speaking infallibly, infallibly. This is, it's it's more it's more of a practical kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. There there is there is still teaching authority there, but the Pope does not, and that he does not have the authority to say or do certain things. So when people say, "Well, maybe this synod will they'll they'll finally get around to saying the Church can ordain women," that's just not going to happen. And and the Church has even explicitly stated. Uh, John Paul II in, 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 in uh, the early 90s produced that document where he said, mm-hmm. the Church does not have the authority to ordain women. This is the, the sacraments were established by Christ in a certain way, and we do not have the authority to change certain things about the sacraments, and fundamental things like that, you know, just as an example. Right. So, so the, when people say that this synod might do this or that, when it's at that level, it, it just won't happen, and it comes it comes from a place of misunderstanding, um, and unfortunately, there are a lot of folks out there with with a platform, with a voice, uh, who spread that misunderstanding. So, right. But uh, you know, folks like folks like uh, the Register and EWTN and Ignatius Press and Catholic Answers and all these folks, we're all working hard to spread the truth. So hopefully, right. we can <laughs> help people understand. Well, I think it can be confusing if you don't know about the structure of the church and how it works, because maybe there's a particular person uh, at your parish with a, with an agenda, and they may think, uh, bless their heart, that they're doing good, and, and because they want a particular thing to happen, and they're saying, well, they discussed this in, the, in Rome, it was a very important gathering, so therefore, yeah. uh, it, it's it's absolutely true, and so we're going to talk more about this, and they're going to inflict that agenda upon pretty much maybe unsuspecting people who don't take the time or maybe they're just too busy and haven't gotten around to it. This is why a book like yours is so very important. So let me ask you, and this is, this is I think, a really uh, deep question for you personally. What led you to write a book about the councils? Where did your interest begin in church councils? Well, I've always been fascinated and interested in, in the church's history. And a few years ago, I, I wrote a, another question-and-answer format book about Fatima, the Fatima apparitions. Mm-hmm. That's around the time that new Fatima movie was coming out. Um, and so then I thought, boy, that, that sure is a, a helpful uh, format for for um, conveying a lot of information on a complex topic, um, you know, bite-sized information, easy-to-find information, that kind of thing. So I kind of brainstormed other ideas that, that might fit that format. And the church council's one idea came up and, I, and it occurred to me that when you when you look at the if you if you just look at the history of the councils and a theological understanding of how the councils work you've got a pretty pretty good picture of the overall history of the church um, in in broad strokes you know um, and and a pretty good understanding of the church's teaching authority right uh, so for anyone interested in church history, 
just looking at the councils is a really good kind of a, a bite-sized way to to dive in, uh, and then and then it opens up a lot of avenues for you know you, you read you read this book on the history and kind of theology of the councils, and then and then you can find whatever piques their interest interest further. You know, oh boy, I sure like the reading about the Council of Trent. Maybe I'll right. read about uh, uh, Protestantism and and uh, the the history of that. Or boy, I sure like uh, reading about the those little bits about the Crusades. Maybe I'll look more into that. You know. Um, it's a very helpful format and it's easy to digest and really important especially right now and I love looking back at history to see how much the church has gone through and we're still standing as our Lord promised and more Paul thanks so much God bless your work Paul sends church councils 100 questions and answers with a forward by Mike Aquilina we'll be right back on a Wednesday Father Benedict Groeschel. In the church, we speak of seven gifts. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, loyalty, courage, and reverence or fear of the Lord. When I speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts come, they give you the ability to go beyond your strength. If you're struggling to be a good person, a good member of your religion, you know it's a struggle and you don't always make it. I've been at it many, many decades and I still struggle and trip and fall and have holes in my socks. Struggling to be a good person, something that we need help at. And this help comes to us by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for those who have diabetes. Almighty God, we worship you, our Father, and we pray this day for those who suffer with diabetes. Look upon your children with this illness and grant them relief. Give them patience and the grace of perseverance in taking care of their health. Show them the way to physical and spiritual well-being. Let their cry come to your ears and bring them healing in mind and body and soul. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. When we come, yeah, well, from the- Just chatting with Joan Lewis during the break about our travels back and forth. God willing, we'll be seeing her in October for our Wine and Shrine Women's Pilgrimage. She normally stops by and says hello to our group and hopefully our La Doce Fide Pilgrimage in November. In the meantime, we go to Rome to chat with Joan about so many different activities. Of course, the Wednesday audience today, Joan, where the Holy Father reflected on his trip to Mongolia and asking the question, why would a pope go someplace so small? And his message was, was lovely. It was about you know, making sure that you're not focusing just on the negative and be willing to, if you hear a tree fall, to notice that the forest is growing. Don't concentrate on a tree falling, but notice the forest is growing. I thought that was very, very pretty. Exactly. 
Well, it was, it was such an incredible trip. I mean, um, I said to you in an email, if I'd ever been jealous of my colleagues who were traveling with the Pope, it, Mongolia was just so very different from any culture that, that you and I know or might have traveled to, et cetera. So um, it was extraordinary in many ways, given, as you just indicated, given the smallness of the number of the Catholic faithful, you know, just under close to 15, 1,500, and yet, of course, uh, they do have a cardinal, so <laughs> that kind of shows you what the Pope thinks about his so-called beloved peripheries. But mm-hmm. um, the geopolitical aspect of this trip, I mean, Mongolia, this immense land uh, bigger than Alaska that is has China and Russia on its borders, and, of course, we know with the Russian situation, Ukraine, and everything else that's been on the Pope's mind for a year and a half. And we also know of the relationship he's trying to build in China, obviously, for several years now. Since September 2018, there's been an agreement with the Chinese Communist government on the naming of um, of bishops. And it's been a difficult agreement for a lot of people, and I'm among them, to accept simply because of the difficulties in China for the Catholic Church, for Catholics and Christians trying to practice their faith. And in fact, in Mongolia, there there was a presence of people from mainland China. We know Cardinal Chao, or Cardinal-elect of Hong Kong was there, but a lot of the Chinese, they did, have, they did wear dark glasses and they wore masks so that they would not be recognized, but there were several that cried out to the Holy Father, please help us, you know, we're being persecuted in our country. So the political aspects, the geopolitical and diplomatic aspects of of that trip will probably certainly be be felt for quite some time. But I don't think that the people, any of the people, the Buddhist uh, majority who would have met the Holy Father, there were interreligious dialogue meetings, excuse me. And so I don't think that any of the Christians and any of the Buddhists, whether they were from Mongolia or adjacent lands. I don't think that they will ever forget that trip, and I have a feeling it's going to be deeply impressed on the on the Holy Father as well. Mm-hmm. Although at one point I know in his discussion with journalists on the plane, he indicated that maybe you know there wouldn't be too many, if any, long distance trips in his future because I mean it was a ten hour trip, um, nine and a half hours going, ten hours. Uh, coming back, and the Holy Father does not have any sleeping accommodations. You know, he's in first class, but with a slightly reclined seat. But, you know, someone, you, you just have to be able to sleep. Well, you right. and I know as yeah. travelers what what being able to recline. And what that I means mean, on a plane. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, um, you know, it was a fascinating trip to watch in, in many, many respects. And I have to say, I mean, I felt great uh, excitement and enthusiasm on everybody's part, including the media. Uh, now, if there had been media who'd been to Mongolia before, I don't know. There were some from the area on the papal plane, as is as, you, as is usual. But um, it has to be one of the most different cultures experienced by anybody who has been uh, traveling, you know, with the Holy Father. So... Um, and then, of course, a, a big aspect of that trip is always the trip back to Rome. Right. So, obviously, everybody's sitting there with their laptops trying to get out the, 
the last, you know, story that they have to tell about the last encounter in the country. But the big thing is always the press conference and, of course, um, the in-flight press conference. And this was a longer flight back to Rome, as I said, 10 hours. So uh, that was a, pretty, it was a pretty lengthy and inclusive press, press conference. I think, oh, Teresa, so many of the things you and I have discussed in shows in recent weeks and months. And it could be China, and it could be future papal trips, or it could mm-hmm. be the Synod. Right. There were some interesting things. Three or four questions were asked by journalists about the Synod in different languages. So I think that was the one subject that got more coverage than others. And, and you know, something to really think about. Um, when the Holy Father, many of the words that he uttered about the Synod we've heard before, in the sense that he's stressing the religious nature of this encounter, stressing the fact that the Holy Spirit is, is to be present and, and oversee events and so forth. But what really concerns the people on the plane, because they are media, is the media aspect of, of the Synod. Because we heard from the Holy Father what a lot of us have kind of suspected from previous uh, should we say announcements by by that by uh, synod officials? Um, I don't know how you and I are going to cover this. Yeah. The people on the plane don't know Teresa how they are going to cover this in it, and because the Holy Father was asked by Cindy Wooten, uh, who heads the CNS, a Catholic um, news service office in in Rome, and that's the office of the U.S. bishops. I mean, the media of the U.S. bishops, and she asked the Holy Father basically. You know, how this doesn't seem like it's going to be an open synod. How are we supposed to cover it and bring the truth of what's happening, you know, to our readers and our listeners? And the Pope said, yes, but it will be open. And then he immediately said that um, there will, we, we know no one, there will be no media except Vatican media. There will be no media in the synod. There will be no live streaming. There will be no way for us to participate unless they show what they have in the past. The Vatican Television might show everybody in the morning as they stand up and pray for a successful workday. But the thing is, the um, Paolo Ruffini, he heads the Vatican Commission for Communications, and he is supposed to, <clears throat> you know, he and his colleagues will be having press conferences and delivering, I don't know if they're going to be conferences in the sense of Q&A, but I hope so. They will be delivering summaries every day of what mm-hmm. happened in the audience hall. And, and, and in the past, if you recall, Teresa, there were English, they were usually priests, um, but there were English language, French, Spanish, Portuguese, etc., journalists who sat in, who were not part of the synod, but part of the media organization. <clears throat> they sat in on the synod every single day. And then they came back and, in their respective language, told all of us in our respective languages what had happened, who spoke, what right. was said, uh, and, and et cetera. So, but we're not going to have any of that. It's only going to be Vatican media. So they will have the option to leave out something that they might not want discussed right away. I don't know if there will be, but I hope so. A Q&A with journalists so that if Paolo Ruffini and his um, colleagues 
from the Vatican when they come out to do these conferences. Right. If the media can't ask questions, I mean, then we're totally stuck. Right. But because then, sure. but then you're having a very controlled, a controlled um, information well, sure. you're, flow. You're spin, right. It's totally yeah. controlled. Yeah. And um, well, I mean, you and I, and I'm sure everyone listening to us now, have seen, um, you know, our White House over the years, the various um, press people that you know, uh, presidential spokespeople, uh, spokespersons, etc. Um, they give us what they are told to give us. Right. And um, I think anybody who's listened recently, watched some of the interchanges, they know from the daily news stories by independent reporters what has happened. And then you pose a question to the spokesperson, and the answer is totally different from what you've been experiencing, mm-hmm. what you've seen in newsreels, et cetera. So I, I think we really, um, as media people, I think we have to pray that things will go well. And here's another thing. You know, I covered for 15 years. I covered synods when I worked at the Vatican. Right. And what the, what the participants had to do at the time, Teresa, was submit to the synod office, um, a, a bishop, whoever was going to speak, they had to submit two things. Their, sum, uh, their report that they were going to give, usually hopefully like four or five pages, then they had to submit a one-page summary of their talk, which would then be given to the media, like those of us at the, at the Vatican, and then we transmitted that every day, sometimes writing a summary when you'd have 30 or 40 speakers in a day. Those were very long days for us. But we knew what every blessed person at the Synod said when right. they got up to speak. Mm-hmm. And so now... The meeting is going to be not in the Synod Hall because there's so many people. It's going to be in the Paul VI Hall. Ah. And, um, well, there's going to be a whole series of round tables. So I, I don't, the Pope said they're going to have people get up and speak for three or four minutes, and then there will be three to four minutes of prayer. Um, I, the days are going to be very, very long if that's the case. Um, so if they're going to have uh, the, table round table discussions, they're not going to be in the main hall where they sit for the yeah. papal audience when it's inside. There's a whole area no, outside be, there. No, they, yeah, they're going to be in the main hall. But the thing is, it's like going to oh, you and I've been to the rector center, and right. last year, in fact, we sat next to each other. Okay, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, this past year, but it's going to be tables like that where you're sitting. I don't know how far away from the next table. So right. let's say your English group one and Spanish group, too, and all the different language groups, right? And um, so you're going to speak at your table and hear what others have to say at your table, but how do you know what's going on at the next English table or at the Spanish or at the French? So how they're going to handle that, I want to give everybody credit for uh, in the Vatican for wanting to do and hoping they do a a very fair job, but I I think the media just given their questions on the papal plane, and given what you and I are talking about, which is based on the Pope's answers to their questions, um, you know, right now it, it can be a bit concerning, uh, but we'll know in a month, won't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We will, we'll be in the midst of it. So, yeah, it's going to be, know. certainly, it's very different. It's going to be really, I think, uh, eye-opening how this whole thing comes down in terms of how much information, what comes out of it, uh, who says what to whom, and and, how, and also then how, because it, then basically what you're doing, I don't think this is, this is my personal opinion, maybe you agree, 
I don't think it's that productive if you want basically to have an honest discussion out there in, in, in the public square because if you only have, if you're not allowed access to, to certain people, if you don't have those summaries as you mentioned, then the media are left to their own uh, devices and, oh. and their own agendas to do, to, you know, right? If you come right out, and we know this has happened, we've discussed it on our, our Wednesday show in many cases, something comes up, the Vatican doesn't answer a question about something that the Pope said or did or some other official. And then, like you just said, it leads to speculation. I have a legitimate question as a journalist. I don't get any answer. What do I deduce from your silence? So um, I, I think at this point what you're going to have to have and the Synod, all those coming to attend the Synod better know this, it's going to be what we hear from the people we interview. If we're going to interview priests and nuns and cardinals and, and whomever we know is attending, and we have to hope and pray that they're open to us because nobody else is going to be open to us, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, we well, do. we're going to have a lot to talk about in the next couple of uh, couple of weeks. Uh, continue uh, being the fact that it starts on October fourth and runs uh, through the twenty eighth, and it's right around the corner. It's less than a month away. So we are out of time, my dear. Thank you so much. I know that uh, you are traveling next week, correct? Yes, to Fort Wayne, Indiana, for an investiture ceremony of the Order of the Holy Sepulchre. And I've been going the last. This is my third year now uh, as a. Uh, member of the North Central Lieutenancy of the Order, and um, it's a wonderful way to catch up with extraordinary people who do amazing things for the Holy Land. So, Amen. Um, Amen. Okay. Well, congrats. We'll look forward to hearing from you the following week when we'll catch up with Joan Lewis. And again, Joan reporting from Rome. Check out her great blog, joanjoanatwordpress.com. We'll be right back. Let you know what's come up on a Thursday, of course. Father Mitch Pacwa for starters. Stay tuned. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. CMF Curo is the Catholic healthcare option you've been searching for. From concierge service to ethical consultations to partnerships with one of the nation's largest healthcare sharing ministries, CMF Curo offers a pro-life Catholic approach to your overall health and well-being. Find out today if CMF Curo is right for you. Call 833-GET-CURO. That's 833-G-E-T-C-U-R-O or visit MyCatholicHealthCare.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. 
Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN and this show in particular, Catholic Connection, a co-production of EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. And we'll talk to you tomorrow, starting with, of course, Cultural Connections with the one, the only, Father Mitch Pacwa. Have a great Wednesday. Aldomani, talk to you tomorrow. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.